Hi, I'm Alex Bernstein. And I'm Ted Wrigley. And you're listening to Curtains on Fire, the theatrical podcast of the Rising Curtain Theatre Company in New Jersey. Happy fall, Ted. It's been a while since our last podcast. Yes, these things do tend to drag out, don't they? But that's because all the love and care we put into each one of these episodes. That and the fact that most of us have day jobs. Yes. But we're very excited to share three new pieces from our writers. Today, we have Meet Me Outside by Christina Mastroni. The Lunchbox by David Doster. And Officer Down by Jay Strong. Our first play takes place in a park right near a high school. This is Meet Me Outside by Christina Mastroni. said in fourth period. If you want to go, let's do this. I will destroy you. Boys, boys, what is the meaning of this? I can't have you fighting on school property. Make amends and run along. Don't worry, Vice Principal Connors. I took care of it. I told them to make amends and leave the property. No, I'm not worried one bit. Are you kidding? The two most indecisive students I have want to get into a fight. If it happens this century, I'll resign. Listen, I gotta go home and take care of my little sister. So if we're not gonna do this right now, then we need to reschedule. Tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah, tomorrow's no good for me. Basketball practice. Thursday. Thursday, I have swim practice. Friday? Friday is the pep rally. Friday is the pep rally. Saturday morning. Yo, that's a low blow. Getting up early on the weekend for this? Plus, I visit my grandmother on Saturday mornings in the nursing home. True. Well, take out your phone. Do you have Apple Calendar? (laughs) Of course I do. All right, it's gonna be sometime next week. Yeah, but according to both your Google and Apple calendars, my baseball schedules are always opposite of of your swim schedules. Damn it, you're right. Hello, boys. I just finished rehearsal with the drama club. I noticed you're the only two left out here. Everything okay? No, we can't figure out when we're going to fight. It's like both of our schedules are not flexible enough for the proper physical confrontation needed at our age level. I see. Or you could just not fight and go home. No, this needs to be done. I I just don't know when. All right. Well, I'm willing to referee your battle and bet my next paycheck if either one of you can tell me what this was originally about. Uh, well, well uh, you see, yeah, you see it, it was, uh, it, he did. Uh, I see. So why don't the both of you just sit in detention tomorrow for threatening violence on school property and we'll call it a day. But 
I, I gotta prep for the bake sale and clap erasers. I, I gotta visit my grandmother in the nursing home. I can't do this. Okay, detention tomorrow morning before classes. End of story. Oh yeah, um, um, I, I'm, I'm free. <sighs> yeah, me too. Excellent. Have a nice night, boys. In our next piece, Mike and Sally are sorting through one of his mom's closets after she's passed away. This is The Lunchbox by David Doster. My old Hot Wheels. Oh, that's fun. I wonder if they're worth anything. What? You want to sell them? What are you going to do with Hot Wheels? I don't know. Play with them? Don't you think a 57-year-old man playing with Hot Wheels is a little odd? Here's my red mantis. It's my fastest car. When I was a kid, Mom would go to the Shell gas station and they would give you a Hot Wheels car with every fill-up for 99 cents. That's where I got this one. The windshield flips up and down. See, isn't that the coolest thing ever? Yeah, cool. Look, we have a lot of stuff to go through. Did your mom ever throw anything away? After cartoons ended on Saturday, I would set up my tracks and race my cars against each other. And this red mantis always won. Earth to Mike, 2021 calling. What? Oh, sorry. It's okay. We just have a lot left. And it's already 2.30. Yeah, well, I really don't want to pitch these. Maybe something for the future grandkids? Okay, well, put it in one of the sentimental boxes. But remember, we're trying to keep those to a few boxes, okay? Sure. Mike, what's wrong? You found an old lunchbox? Talk to me. What is it, honey? This is my gentle bed lunchbox. I remember that show. Yeah. Why does it make you sad? I was with Mom at Kmart. It was the start of second grade. We were shopping for school supplies, and we were in the aisle with all the lunchboxes. I found this one. Oh, I was thrilled. It was my favorite show. I turned around to ask mom if I could get this one. And she looked at me and said, Daddy's leaving us for a while. Oh, Mikey. I never understood why she picked that moment to tell me. There's never a good time to tell someone bad news. Maybe she was just suddenly ready to tell you. Tell that to seven-year-old me. Well, hopefully 57-year-old you understands it better. I don't know. Maybe. Thanks. Here, let me take that. Do you want to keep it? Uh, I don't know. I think I need to let it go. How about we take a break? Maybe go grab a late lunch? 
We've been at this for a while. I'm getting hungry. What was that for? For helping me get through this. I had no idea how hard this was going to be. Yeah. It's more than just stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, I'll go pull the car around. What's this? Dear Mikey, I was sorting through some things today and came upon your old lunchbox. It brought back some memories. Packing your lunch in the morning, you'd always be in the kitchen eating your breakfast and asking questions. You were so full of questions. My favorite was when you were looking at Eddie in his high chair and asking if he knew he was alive yet. Seeing this lunchbox also made me remember when I told you about the divorce. Oh, Mikey, remember when we would go to the pool? You were such a great swimmer. One time you refused to go in because you thought the water was too cold. And I said, really? Let me see. And went over to the edge of the pool like I was going to feel the temperature but instead I pushed you in. You are so mad. But later, when I said it was time to go, you refused to get out. Telling you about the divorce was like that. Jumping into a cold pool. The shock is awful. But as time goes by, you learn it's not as bad as you thought. You get used to it. And in time, you don't think about it and you enjoy yourself. I remember when you got out of the pool that day, you were shivering, but so happy. I hope telling you about the divorce would be like that. And yes, it was hard at first, but you and I figured it out. And after a time we had fun. I pray that you'll never go through what I did. Somehow, I don't think you will. I see the way Sally looks at you and I see how crazy you are about her. And that's what true love looks like. One last memory I have. You used to leave me notes in your lunchbox. Mostly it was things like, I don't like celery, but sometimes I got in, I love you, mommy. Well. I'll just leave this note in your lunchbox for you to find someday. I love you, Mikey. Mom. Oh my goodness. Let's just put this in the sentimental box. Our final piece today takes place on the mean streets of just about any big city of your choosing. This is Officer Down by Jay Strong. Ow! 
officer down. Are you okay? No. Sure. I fell in pursuit. Look at this rip. Get off of me. Is this the guy? Caught him running away. You shot me. Quiet. You're under arrest. For what? If you don't shut it, I'll think of something. I thought there were two of them. Too busy popping a cap to get a look. Where were you? I got a text. Yeah, who was it? He's not breathing. The other one's getting away. Wait, we should call an EMT. There's no time. He has the thing. What thing? We'll find out when we find him. He's assaulted someone. Down here. Shouldn't we call for backup? They're on their way. Did you call? I did. Are you just saying that because you think it's what I want to hear? There isn't time to say things you don't want to hear. Freeze, dirtbag! Dirtbag? Well, is that not okay anymore? <laughs> Was it ever? Okay, you trash basket, hands up! I got my hands up. Then put them down! Oh, nope. If I do, you'll shoot me. Put your hands down! I feel more comfortable with my hands up. I do too. Is he refusing to obey a direct command? <laughs> Sounds like it. Ow! What the hell? He was obstructing justice. He wasn't the guy! He had a gun! Where? We'll plant it later. Come on! He's still getting away. Who is? Who? The other guy! What other guy? The one you're not helping to catch. Hey man, how are you holding up? I'm fine. We've been partners a long time. Maybe we should talk. 6845, shots fired. Oh, now we've got shots fired. That guy! Hey, hey! He's white! So, get him! Look, about that text. Tell me what it is! I'm, I'm trying! Not you, him! Talk! What, what about? Let's see some ID. He's the assistant district attorney. This is the guy. This isn't the guy. He has a knife. On him? No, but but I do own one. It's at home. Should I go get it? It's no problem. I could just run and... Ow! I don't know about you right now, man. That's twice you've only wounded the suspects. I don't want to lose my job. It's all I have left. What the hell? Where's the thing? What thing? What did you do with it? What are we talking about? I'm asking the questions. And that wasn't obvious? Then why do I have to tell you? Sorry. Yeah, I was answering questions with questions. I see that now. You have it. I don't. You don't know what's going on, do you? Sure I do. I just don't want to admit that my ex is remarrying. Give me the invitation. Sorry, yeah. The text. I was trying to tell you. Hand it over. She asked me not to give it to you. Oh. That was Officer Down by Jay Strong. 
And now we're excited to have our three authors with us, Jay, Dave, and Christina, to discuss what inspired them to write these pieces. I love Officer Down, Jay. And there's so many things going on in Officer Down. So what, what inspired you to, to do this piece? Well, uh, some of it was the stuff in the news, of course, um, you know, about police, police brutality, which has gone on forever. But also these characters, uh, Tankin and Thong, have been around in my head for some time. And they are my sort of ridiculous police officers. And uh, I just finally had a chance to come up with a scene for them, which was fun to do. It's funny that you say that it is reacting to events of the day, and yet you play it as comedy, which I think uh, works very well. And there's also this sort of comedy against almost all cop things that have ever been done ever. Were you intending to make fun of all cop things ever? I do like to, uh, when I think of them, puncture cliches or twist them. I enjoy that. Uh, I like the idea of the cop telling you, put your hands down as opposed to put your hands up. I, I enjoyed that. I think that's I, that's the kind of thing I think is funny. To have the cops do the opposite of what they would normally do in, say, Starsky and Hutch. It's almost like Starsky and Hutch meet Abbott and Costello, because there's a little who's on first in there. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think is great about the piece is there's so many parts of it that are sort of almost metatextual. Like there's double meetings throughout quite a bit of this. One good example is near the end, one of the characters says, you don't know what's going on, which you could read as, you don't know what's going on in this actual piece. You don't know what's going on in this crime. And then there's also, you don't know what's going on with the invitation that I've got on my text, which is subtext there. Is all of that on purpose or am I just reading into all of that? Wow, that's a tough question to answer because, uh, in a way, all of my writing is, you know, is unconscious. You know, it's the editing that where I do most of my work, and I usually then see where there are things like that, and usually want to lean into that. You know, I want things to have. You know, I worry about things not holding together; they're not being a like a consistent narrative that you can follow. But I do like to comment on the narrative and have the characters, you know, say things that are also speaking for the audience as well. Um, and you know, I don't, I like doing that. It's just like I like exploding cliches. I, I like the idea that you can think about it in a lot of different ways, uh, which is what makes it interesting for me. And is this something of an endless loop where these two will be chasing down alleyways, looking for people to wound forever? That's not what I would want to do with these characters. I would want to spin them out into other things to, to like find other cop show cliches or events that I mean, it might be a thing where what it, one of them is having some kind of emotional problem and it, it affects their work. And that would be the, the basis of the scene until we discover what it is that, uh, you know, somebody broke up with me or my dog died and I just can't deal with it. Um, and it's also because it's, it's, a, it's a job that I think is emotionally numbing. I think it's, it's difficult for police officers, from what I've read, sympathetically, you know, that it's hard. You're in the dirt all the time and that's got to be hard. Uh, plus, I just think human beings tend to have difficulty understanding themselves. It takes real work to know what you really what you really mean when you say something, or what you're really thinking, or what you're really feeling. Uh, I just, at least for me, I find those things very difficult to parse. I think actually you do a lovely job of balancing both some fear of these guys with a lot of sympathy for them, all the way to being a little terrified of Tankini, and yet he's a pretty sympathetic character in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it probably helps that I, I like these guys. I, you know, I've always liked them. They're a lot of fun. The stuff I think about with them is a lot of fun. Uh, so I didn't want to make them wholly evil. 
misguided, uh, you know, stupid <laughs> a little bit and, and overreactive, but I didn't really want to demonize them. Um, you know, that uh, I think I've written other pieces where I'm much harsher uh, about the characters and what they do and what I think of them. In this instance, I didn't want to make them characters I wouldn't want to revisit. Dave, excellent piece. My big question is, did you really have a Gentle Ben lunchbox? I did have a Gentle Ben lunchbox, and it and it was my favorite show, and it was, I think, my only lunchbox that I had. And I, I can visualize it. In fact, I think I looked it up on eBay. And did you? Mm-hmm. How much was it? It was it was still like ten dollars. <laughs> it's amazing that you and did you you actually bought it? Your your mom actually picked it out for you at Kmart. Yeah. Excellent. Did you and your mother or even other members of your family did you leave notes for yourselves in places like lunchboxes and stuff? Um. <laughs> no, I don't remember doing that. This was just a, a dramatic uh, device for this piece I came up with. Did your mom have that attitude of kind of push you in to get you to learn something? So did she actually push you in a pool? Um, yeah, but I mean, my so the, the pool thing is actually a vivid memory from my dad. Um, and I remember him doing that where I was, we were camping and we were at some campground swimming pool and I'm like, I don't want to go in, it's too cold. And he's like, let me see. And they pushed me in. And I remember, oh, this is horrible. And then I actually remember getting out and shivering afterwards and just being so happy, you know, because as kids are, right? So that that is actually what drove the piece was that specific memory and just the idea of thinking about, you know, when you get bad news, it's like being thrown into a cold pool, you know? And it's just, after a while you get used to it and it's, it's fine. Very emotional scene. Was it, was it when, you, when you were working on this piece, did you know it was gonna be such an emotional piece? Well, no, originally I didn't have the mom's part. Um, that was after we workshopped it and your guys are like, I, I, wanna, I wanna know what mom has to say. So the, I, I went back and uh, created the, the monologue for mom there. And I remember I, I, read, I wrote it outside of my normal writing hours cause I have very specific writing hours. So I was pretty tired. And then after I read it, I'm like, man, this is really sad. I'm, it really got to me. So yeah, I just, I didn't know it was gonna take that turn as much as it did until I wrote it. But you guys encouraged me to do that. I was going to ask about that because I guess in the in the initial piece, Mike and Sally go through all of you know the stuff, and so he finds the lunchbox and then he sees the note. But that's where the scene ends. In the original piece, the audience doesn't get to know what's on the note. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just a, a note, and and Sally sees it. She's like, well, I guess I'll. If she looks at it and she says, well, I guess we're going to keep this, and that's all you know. <laughs> Why didn't you write the note in the first piece? I don't know. I just decided that I, I felt like it just was enough there. But you guys were right. I mean, it was better to explain it a bit more. I, I don't know. I tend to like, you know, I have the habit of just sort of ending things. I'm like, well, that's enough of that. <laughs> Dave, you now have kids that are probably, uh, you know, of the age that your mom was writing the note about the advice that uh, she gave you. Do you think you'll ever find yourself you know, writing notes to your kids and hiding them in, in lunch boxes or where they may find them? <laughs> uh, I, if I ever think of any sage advice, maybe. <laughs> they tend to be smarter than I am. <laughs> well, let's hope they find the notes earlier than Mike and Sally did. <laughs> yeah. So, Christina, what inspired you to do this piece? 
So the the name of it is was the prompt. I think the prompt was verbatim, meet me outside. And when we first started this writing group, I think I was more concerned with the actual plot than the titles. So I just made all of the titles what the plot, I mean, what it was, what the whatever the prompt was. So when I thought of um, meet me outside with a lot of our prompts, I was just thinking to myself, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And I just thought about, you know, you stole my lunch, meet me outside, we'll deal with this after school um, kind of thing. And so I was like, how can I make this ridiculous? I don't think we had a prompt to meet me outside. No, we didn't. This was um, from the prompt next week, I think. That's right. Oh, my God. Okay, so no, no, no. That's right. That's right. That's right. So this was when I was expanding and I gave it a title. And it was right. And then that's right. It was called next week and I was trying to figure out what, how I would manage scheduling into a conversation. That's what it was. And I was a part of... um, one of like a friend of mine who wrote a bunch of skits, he had a whole skit about, you know, people getting together and trying to schedule the next time that they were going to hang out. And so I kind of use that as inspiration and, but like for kids fighting. So apart from all the great writing and improv you're doing, can you tell us about your day job that may have also inspired this piece? Okay. So I'm a teacher. I worked in high school for about four years and now I work at a college setting. And so the joke was that I teach adult babies. So while I can't imagine this happening in a college classroom, it's kind of funny to imagine that happening outside of a college, um, just to adult babies. (laughs) You write about students quite a bit in your work. And the idea of these two kids almost getting into a fight is not that foreign to you, right? No, um, there, there's been times, I won't say where and at what school, but there's been times where I've had to break up fights. So I'm, I'm almost a professional referee at this point, I think. Um, I try not to write too much about those, but yeah, and definitely the characters that I create from improv and a few of my stand-up pieces are from my experience teaching. Did you ever get in any fights when you were a kid? I think I only got into like one and it was like, I was just, well, I guess it depends on who you ask, right? But my side of the story was that I was using self-defense to protect myself. But other than that, I just, no, I just got like bullied a lot and took it. (laughs) Now, sometimes uh, the writers, and I think you have in the past too, have written with particular voices in mind. You had two of your improv cohorts, Nat and Bruce, uh, read this and you very specifically wanted them. Did you have their voices in mind when you wrote this? I, um, you know what it is? I, when I thought about it, the two voices that I had just so happened to be, and, and Ted, you might find this really funny, was, was this kind of like nerdy, nasally voice. And then like this kind of like California-esque surfer dude, like, whoa, man, I don't even know. And I thought like putting those together with all of the complex like wording bits here and there. And I, when you asked me to cast it, I thought to myself, oh my God, these are characters that I've seen Nat and Bruce do 
countless times in improv where Bruce always fixes his glasses and sometimes Nat just pretends to be this completely clueless character. And I just kind of had those voices in mind for the, the kids, but I didn't realize how close to home they were until you were like, pick people to do this. Well, thank you, Christina. That was a great piece. And uh, we were honored to have it be a part of uh, this podcast. Oh, thank you for choosing it. And you can erase the piece in the beginning where I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> and that's it for podcast number four. Thank you so much for joining us today. We just want to mention a few people. Meet Me Outside starred Christina Mastroni, Nat Janace, and Bruce Mejia. Sorting Through a Life featured Ted Wrigley, Lynn Langoni, and Anne Hennessy. And Officer Down featured Hank Fandel, David Doster, Jay Strong, Alex Bernstein, and Ted Wrigley. Yes, we both got to be in that one. Yes, but all I did was basically scream out in pain. All of our plays today were directed by Ted Wrigley. And mixed by Alex Bernstein and David Doster. Our graphics were created by Pina Carey, and our theme music was created by David Doster. The Curtains on Fire podcast is produced by Ted Wrigley and Alex Bernstein. And thanks again for listening in. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach out to us at info at risingcurtaintheatercompany.com. Please join us next time for more new works by up-and-coming playwrights. Until then, don't stand so close to the curtains. <laughs>